0: in a world where a materialist analysis of society is considered vulgar one bear and one lady are injecting vulgar material into your ears and your hearts it's knackers and the Vag.
1: As the preceding few seconds of speech might have let you know, yes, you are listening to Knackers, 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 and the Vag, Vag, Vag. Why am I sounding so thrilled and up? in this what was after all an innovating year where some crypto servant of the ruling class certainly came by removed all of our blood replaced it with the, the possible opposite of red bull are you not feeling the exhaustion comrades oh it's all a pretense isn't it ah oh, speaking of needing encouragement i do hate to uh, mention our dirty bourgeois dollars. But if you'd like to sling some this way to the Knackers and the Vag podcast, you can do so on the modern marvel called the internet. It's patreon.com forward slash Helen Razor. Just look for your Knackers and the Vag she needs sustenance, unlike today's guest, honorary associate professor or some grand title like that at the ANU. Uh, actually, also my pal, Rick Kuhn. Who cares what his title is? He is an erudite man. And in this, the penultimate uh, or possibly ultimate broadcast of the year, who can say? All depends where Nana's energy levels are. Indeed, give us a donation. Open your wallets. Anyway. I began by asking Rick what a Marxist intellectual
0: is. Well, I think that there, there can be two conceptions of a Marxist intellectual. There's one conception of the Marxist intellectual is somebody who thinks Marxist ideas in the privacy of her or his own study yeah. and writes profound books. Yeah. That's not my model of a Marxist intellectual. Mm-hmm. My model of a Marxist intellectual is somebody who is engaged in political activity and thinks through why they're engaged, how best to be engaged, and that requires some level of theoretical understanding. And it need not be somebody who has many university degrees or even a university degree. It can be an activist who has read, who has thought, who has discussed, and has worked things through and come up with interesting and effective ways of understanding the world. So, that kind of a Marxist intellectual may be uh, formally qualified, but that qualification may simply be their experience, their knowledge of the history of the labour movement and their understanding of how capitalism works.
2: So, when you say that activism was your university... As you've just described, the one informs the other. The reading um, and the theorising and, the, and the thinking things through, either on your own or, or with other people, is not a discrete part of being a Marxist for you. There's a kind of intelligence that you acquire through activism. Is is that what that's, you're saying?
0: That's That's right. And it's a collective intelligence as well because I think you can be so much more effective and understand so much more. If you're involved in political activity with other people who share basic perspectives with you, uh, who you can discuss things with, who you can argue with Mm. and who you can draw conclusions with.
2: So how would you describe, like, that idea of mass consciousness or mass intelligence? Like, the Western model that a lot of people like to talk about is Paris 1968. Mm. And, I mean, who knows what really went on? But… I don't know whether whether or not you're a Marxist. I think you know there's a, a view a lot of people can can take if they will. And to me, it seems kind of like my, my instinct tells me that it's true that people are actually naturally quite bright.
0: I I think they are. Yeah. By by and large, it's just that this society doesn't let people express their. Capacities, all sorts of capacities, intellectual capacities, artistic capacities, creative capacities. I think that that's right. And, look, we don't have to go back to 1968. We can look at 2018 and what's been happening on the streets of Paris and Toulouse and Marseille and various other cities and the Gillette Jaune, the the Yellow Vests, and their creativity. I mean, Lenin talked about revolution being the festival of the oppressed We've seen some of that festivity yeah. uh, in French cities, not on the brink of revolution, I think, quite yet. But that creativity that ordinary people can express—fantastic stuff—and we've also seen the uh, the collapse of the extreme centre in its most. Tedious form that is Emmanuel Macron, the the president of France.
2: I must say, I'm quite enjoying the 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 the, the collapse of that haircut. Um, I mean, you just sort of. I mean, what did he signify, really? He, you, know, his greatest strength was that he was not Le Pen,
0: and that he wasn't really known. That he he is a pretty face, I think. Yeah, uh, that's that's true. the The package is okay. He wasn't that well known, even though he was a a minister in one of Hollande's the previous president's governments. Uh, nevertheless, he wasn't that well known. He's well packaged, and yeah, he
2: was he was he, he was like a, a sort of a a, a Gallic Trudeau.
0: Yeah, um, yeah.
2: You you know, was sort of fairly photogenic. I mean, and, and there was um there was article after article in Australian press and and U.S. press as well. About how important it was that he had an older uh, spouse, you know, that that his 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 wife was was older than him, and um, so there is still that fixation in a lot of mainstream media on the on the on the personality of particular politicians, and you know what they represent. You, uh, so you know, this is very much the centrist view. I mean, I would like to agree that, that centrism is, is crumbling, but it seems to like keep reconstituting itself. Oh, no, itself. I think
0: that's true. I think that, that there's a perpetual cycle of reconstitution, which will go on, well, either till the planet fries or till the far right is the major beneficiary and just gets rid of democracy for a whole period in a particular country or particular countries.
2: Here on Neckers in the Badge we're talking um, to uh, Rick Coon and um, I do want to ask him some um, some persnickety Marxist questions but that aside, let's let's talk about centrism for a moment yeah. and the way that the, you know, the conversation arises, particularly in Australia. Now, there's an article, I'm sure you didn't bother reading it, but there was an article in um, a publication that I write for actually called The Saturday Paper. And it was by um, a, w- a lady called Jane Caro, who is, I think, sort of chiefly known uh, for her work here uh, in Australia on um, a panel show about the advertising uh, industry yep. called uh, The Gruen Transfer. Gruen was a socialist, by the way, wasn't he? Oh, Victor Gruen.
0: A very, very modest social he democrat, wasn't. I think.
2: No, no, no. Well, he identified as a socialist, mm. the, the man who invented the American yeah. shopping mall. Um, I just recently learned. Oh,
0: sorry, I'm thinking of a different Gruen.
2: Um, no, Vic, uh, Victor Gruen. Yes, the yep. Vetter, He fled as your parents did, Vienna. Mm-hmm. because uh, you, your par- when did your parents leave Vienna?
0: Thirty-eight and thirty-nine yeah. after after Anschluss, after the Nazis marched in.
2: Yeah, they 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 got out about the same time as Sigmund. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um and around about the same time as Victor Gruen, who was um so a socialist, invented the shopping mall. I'm sorry, I'm 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 side I'm 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 being sidetracked by fascinating facts. Stop <laughs> looking so um confused. But so, so it's
0: bemused, not uh, confused.
2: So, so, oh, uh, just quit that look of puzzlement. Um, so, so Jane writes, I'm sorry, look, the fact that I found out that the inventor of the shopping mall was a socialist who denounced the shopping mall, loathed the word, uh, the term the grow and transfer. I think this is kind of interesting, mm-hmm. don't
0: you? Yes, absolutely.
2: The original shopping mall, do you know, Australia was an early adopter of the shopping mall,
0: Roselands, uh, in Sydney.
2: That's not the first. No? No, the first was in Brisbane.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. And um, anyway, I'm sorry. So she's on this.
0: (laughs) She's
2: a television star and, you know, uh, made her money in marketing and I guess is is sort of known as a liberal feminist, Mm -hmm. an ardent fan of that um, democratised cauldron of equality, Hillary Clinton, and uh, she um, is also known as an atheist. And she is considering a run for the seat of Warringah, which is currently held by former Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott, Australia's second shortest serving Prime Minister, I think.
0: I don't have the figures at the tip of my fingers.
2: Um, disgraced himself for a number of reasons. I mean, he was quite a comic, hyper the, un- the
0: onion eating was a class act.
2: Yeah, I mean – Restoring to Australia the uh, the language of um, British nobility and giving out the titles, dames and and and, and knights, I think, <laughs> as part of that Order
0: of Australia to Prince Philip, I think.
2: That's right. Yes, that was just so. I mean, if if you're listening, um, uh, in a uh, landmass other than the one we refer to as Australia, uh, we are, um, you know, uh, this was, um. A, a nation invaded two uh, two hundred and thirty years ago um, by the British, and um, it, 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 we're still not a republic, which is not a source of great embarrassment to me. I mean, you know what? The, what the fuck? I, I'm mm. I'm waiting for the revolution. It's sort of like obscene to maintain this kind of symbolic attachment to the the royal family. I mean, most Australians simply don't feel it, do they?
0: No, no, no I don't think. D- despite Huge efforts by the mass media and by conservatives to beat it up and uh, <sighs> bringing over the the younger generation of the royal family to coo and cluck over.
2: Yeah, we we'll, we'll, so I'm sorry, we 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 will get back to te, to, te. to this. And, but I just, I'm I'm glad that you've noticed that because I, I mean the the media make the Australian mainstream media makes such a hoo ha. And indeed the, the the British media too, uh, when uh, brother Jeremy Corbyn was asked by press, would he be watching the the, the royal wedding, that of uh, Harry and um, Harry
0: dress up in Nazi uniform yes, royal well, well, that he's, one he's
2: been reformed, hasn't he, because he's wed a woman of color and thus erased the stain all of the um the all all of the killings of um the british empire and his mm. own tiny indiscretion of dressing up like a fucking nazi um by marrying um meghan markle mm. now i became quite obsessed with the the sentimentalism um surrounding that wedding as you know somebody who kind of like works on the fringes of mainstream media there were a number of people utterly convinced that this was a meaningful moment, that the monarchy was somehow restored. Now, um,
0: now I'm puzzled.
2: Why are you puzzled? But this is how people in media think, mate.
0: Yeah. This, yep. is,
2: this is how they think. Mm. Everything is representational, right? Yeah. I, yep. You know, you can restore any institution, no matter how conservative. I mean, you know, look at what happened to Hillary Clinton. A woman who'd never even uttered the word feminist to apply to herself is suddenly a strong advocate for girls and women. Fuckers spent five minutes, you know, doing her service intended purely for her CV for the sake of disabled children. Mm. After that went straight onto the fucking board of Walmart. Do your reading. Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton really had nothing whatsoever to do with the civil rights movement. Her history is one of self-improvement, not the betterment of her fellows, and she's a fuckhead. That aside, and mm-hmm. we will get mm-hmm. back to mm-hmm. the sensible centre, I promise.
0: Mm-hmm. No worries.
2: The, the crowds in Australia for um, Harry and Meghan, what are they? Are they, they they're, not the, they're the Sussexes, aren't they? They're the Sussexes. I I haven't
0: followed it closely enough.
2: This royal jubilee that the Australian media tried to create, there was crowds of of hundreds waiting for them here in Australia and these are the sexiest, you know, the, the most attractive of all royals. I mean, I know, you know, you're a man of refinement and you avoid the mainstream media. But you must have noticed at the time of the wedding how intense the focus was on on these two.
0: Difficult to avoid. Mm. Difficult to avoid.
2: And, um, you know, and there was great celebration about having the um, Episcopalian preacher of colour in…
0: During the wedding ceremony. Yeah, Yeah. uh,
2: in the Windsor Chapel and and whatnot. So I became sort of transfixed by… What seemed to be the lack of interest everyday people had in this wedding, and and the intense focus the media had. Now, the, the Independent did some quite interesting uh, research on the number of street parties, which is a fairly traditional thing to do for, um, or at least since the time of the House of Windsor. Mm. Um, for royal jubilees, royal occasions, you know, w- weddings, silver jubilees, um, the Queen's birthday, that that sort of thing. Now they were down everywhere except for Glasgow, where they have never occurred. It's always been zero percent. Nobody gets mm-hmm. out in Glasgow and yeah. has, has a a royal wedding breakfast. So these were down, and um, the attendance at the wedding were only twenty thousand people, and it was on a Saturday, which is
0: poor. Poor. it is
2: it is poor attendance. It's actually only four times more than the the marriage that no one cared about, which was that of of Charles and Camilla, perhaps the only genuine love match in Buckhouse. Yeah. um, so just just twenty thousand people, like I mean, there is a public unconcern for this kind of nonsense. yeah, you get that anyway, enough of that. um so so. It's fascinating to me how, you know, people in the media bubble can sort of reconstitute that old institution. Mm. And, I mean, the Windsors have always been very good at that. By the way, here's the bear. When I bang on too much, you wave the bear at me. So, anyway, back to Ms. Caro. She wrote wrote a piece in the Saturday paper. She's considering a a run for um, Warringah, just as Karen Phelps, a... Neoliberal, by her own admission, lady, uh, who won another you know blue liberal seat. Um, she was inspired by Ms. Phelps' win. I'm not entirely sure why. Karen Phelps is apprehended by a lot of people. N- not you, you know as I mean, there's so many people like Margot Kingston, who I thought was far more cynical and 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 savvy as a member of the press gallery, is completely enamoured of of Karen Phelps. I'm not sure why.
0: I I think Karen Phelps does represent something important and that's embarrassment for Scummo's government, for Scott Morrison's government. And in that sense, but well, that's a good thing. In yes. terms of in terms of her own politics, she's got a vastly better position on refugees and the government or the Labour Party, so that's good, but in terms of ordinary people's lives, which really means economic policy, mm. she, as you say, is a, liberal, a neoliberal. She is a Tory. Uh, so she would uh, have fitted very easily into the Liberal Party before uh, the troglodytes uh, ran amok yeah, in I- the last few years.
2: I mean you know don't get me wrong as, as much as I sort of despise the hypocrisy of the Australian Labor Party and as much as I want to shove in their orifices a, a reminder of their constitution which declares it to be a democratic socialist party when it's hardly that at all there is a great pleasure that we can take in seeing the the conservative or the relatively conservative liberal party lose but with Karen Phelps it was the, the, the loss of Malcolm Turnbull that her reemergence signified. Mm. So she's kind of like the lady standing for our own Macron slash Trudeau figure, really, isn't she? It's like you know, the labor the, the the Liberal Party are rejecting this sensible centrist, and so into the fold comes another sensible centrist, and she you know totally um, in favor. Have you been reading about the stock? buybacks that have been occurring in the U.S. following Trump's corporate tax cuts?
0: Not in detail.
2: It's, I mean, basically, it's been a record year for companies doing that financialized stuff with, yeah. where they're not producing anything. You know, all the arguments that we hear for capitalism, for large corporations, that they provide jobs and that they innovate – Apple's a really interesting example because it's been doing neither. A bloke said to me the other day, since the time of um, Steve Jobs' death, you know, Jobs was a, a little bit of a a hippie and for his own glory or whatever was determined that that Apple would innovate. And I mean, of course, he actually used pieces of technology chiefly that were developed by government scientists. Yeah. yeah. But. You know, none, nonetheless, we can say that um, Jobs was an innovator and that the iPhone and that the the, the tablet were, you know, interesting things. bloke said to me the other day, a real Mac nerd, uh, the one thing that Tim Cook has done in the last seven years is the innovation of the winking emoji on the iPhone. <laughs> and so since the corporate tax cuts in the U.S., and ours resemble those closely, what large corporations have been doing um, is just totally financialising their, their practice. Yeah,
0: well, what, what we're seeing is not trickle down, which is the argument suck in favour of, of the tax cuts, but, yeah, suck up. So it's gone into the pockets of the top corporate managers and the big shareholders, done nothing at all for ordinary working people.
2: So, as an academic, your um, I, I guess a, a focus of your interest has always been macroeconomics and labor relations, right? You you do have a fairly good understanding of macroeconomics. You fully understand what your neoclassical um, and, and neoliberal economists think. You understand their theory as
0: I've got I've got some idea of it. Yeah,
2: yeah, you you know a lot of shit. You know, and you know what the other mob think, right?
0: So, some idea, yeah. You
2: do, yeah. you do. So what happened? How, how How is it possible, you know, that there are people like, you know, Jane, getting back to Jane. Yes. She writes a piece in the Saturday paper. She, of course, quotes what Edmund Burke never said, which is, you know, all that it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Mm. You know, I, I don't think Burke ever said that. I think. John Stuart Mill said something. It doesn't matter. Yep. Anyway, John Stuart Mill said something similar. And so this is very much her view and very much the the, the Karen… She's got
0: to do her bit.
2: Yeah, but it's, it's her view, very much the Karen Phelps uh, view, that we can rehabilitate our political system simply by inserting good people into it, that somehow um, compassion and concern… Will I don't know by some magical uh, so by some al- alchemy or by some algorithm turn into policy? I'm not quite sure how that works, but again, it's sort of like the royal family, isn't it? That you can um, you get the, the lady formerly known as Meghan Markle from the show Suits, which I've never watched. Have you? No, I'm not familiar with it. I, I I'm thinking that it's about the finance sector. I don't know.
0: <laughs> no idea.
2: No. I mean, it's always on. Mm -hmm. It always seems to be on. Netflix is always encouraging me
0: to watch it, but I never have. If it's about the financial sector, then that probably provides more insights into uh, really what makes the system tick than the moral behaviour of good people. Mm -hmm. Because you can be terribly good. You can be uh, a saint. uh, But… If the system in which you're operating on or in is one based on production for profit and you're in government or in parliament and you're concerned that economic growth be sustained, then you are constrained to behave in a way that encourages profit-making.
2: And we are all constrained. Um, I remember I, I I called you up for some advice uh, a few years ago. There was another furor about um, a discount store, could have been Target, Kmart. Um, there was an, there was an outcry by concerned mums on Facebook um, that these shows, these stores, were offering like a two or three dollar t shirt, and they said we can't possibly do that because obviously. This has exploited someone. Now your beautiful daughter, talented daughter, Alex Gorman, is um, very well versed um, in, in in fashion. And t- don't worry, stop looking concerned. I'm getting to the point. <laughs> I I do have some executive function problems. I do tend to wander Careful off. Careful, or I'll bear you. Uh, so 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 Alex knows about how there's sort of, and she's written about it before. But mm. you know, there's haute couture labels that are equally exploitative of of labour. And so, you know, especially, um, you know, with a certain class of women, there's a great deal of concern about, you know, buying fashionable items that are also ethical. Mm, Yes. And I remember being a little bit confuzzled that day and saying, well, you know, uh, what's the problem here? You said, what do you mean what's the problem, Helen? We're all the working class the workers in Bangladesh, um, and so we have this sort of like Walmart effect yes. thing. Explain the Walmart effect.
0: Uh, the, I'm not sure what you're getting at.
2: Oh, so so you call um, – so in the – it comes from uh, the U.S. – so in the U.S.A. you can go to Walmart and buy things. Yes,
0: extra- cheap, extraordinarily yes.
2: Extraordinarily cheaply. Yeah. And the only reason that you're able to do that is because the items are made offshore as they have been and the workers
0: year. at Walmart in the United States yeah. are paid a pittance, and many of them are on welfare as well.
2: Yeah, so it's kind of like this, uh, like elaborated Fordism, really. You know, yeah. when, when Henry Ford paid his workers enough that they could also buy his cars. The only way that you can, you know, sort of maintain Walmart, on which our friend Hillary. Clinton was on the board for many. Have you ever read about that? Actually, it's kind yeah, of interesting. Yeah, yeah man, how she was on the board in yeah. Arkansas. What a fucking God, oh, she's a monster. Yeah. Um and so, uh, so anyway, the, the the Walmart effect is the you know, the cost of the t-shirt. But you know, as as you said, you shouldn't feel so you 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 were saying that um you can be a good person and still be affected by um the the need for profit. If you, if, and as yeah. a consumer too, it's yes. the same thing. You're a worker, you can, you know. A $3 T-shirt is a good thing for you to buy for your kids. You can afford it. They need a T-shirt. Exactly. Don't fucking have the guilt about it. You know, I, be, I used to have uh, a professor at um, Sydney who was um, a social anthropology professor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he blew my mind when I was 18 because he would ask us about what we had for lunch and where did it come from? Where, where did your lunch come from? And, you know, you say, oh, the union canteen or um, I, I, the supermarket and it's, mm. where did it come from before and where did it come from before to the point, you know, of course, that people weren't eating lunch uh, before the tutorial because they just sort of couldn't handle the guilt um, and knowing that, you know, the food chain was, you, you know, that the enslavement of some, at least somebody was involved. You can't be pure under relations as they exist so i just want sorry wanted to add that to your idea about it. so so it's impossible to be good when the system doesn't allow you to
0: exactly we're all compromised the vast bulk of people work for capitalist enterprises or for the capitalist state we don't have a choice mm. we've got to we've got to eat yeah we buy food and clothing and other stuff that are made in capitalist enterprises we don't have a choice. Not. Well, I suppose we do have a choice. We could we could go up into the back blocks of nor- northern new south wales and uh live on uh fallen gum leaves, but that's not really a choice if we want to have reasonably well-nourished lives then we're living under capitalism, that there's no way around that here and now. The only way around it is by organising for the future Mm. to get rid of a system that's based on production for profit, that's based on the exploitation of wage labour. And that's why political activity with other people who want to change the world is important. And that's why when people move into struggle against aspects of the system, Mm. especially aspects of the system at work, it's really important and shows a potential For change and shows the potential that ordinary working people Mm. have.
2: When people do move together and this can happen at a community level um, as well as, you know, on a a broader or industrial scale. social movements
0: as well as uh, ones in workplaces, yeah.
2: But there is, you know, and we were talking about this before, I mean, there is a sort of, um, there is an essence uh, or a kind of a a group intelligence that that can form. When people move together, things move.
0: Exactly, exactly. Capitalism is very good at reproducing itself and telling us that we can't change anything. Yeah. The mass media, government policy, schools where the main curriculum is the hidden curriculum – shut up and do what you're fucking told. Mm -hmm. Now, a very important lesson uh, if you're going to have a disciplined workforce, the family, these things reinforce the idea that there is no alternative, this is all that there can be. But capitalism also necessarily produces resistance and struggle against oppression of LGBTI people, of groups that are designated uh, dangerous races, and exploits workers, and in order to have uh, a reasonable living standard, eventually people have to push back. And in pushing back, the only way they can do that effectively is together with others. And it's in Mm -hmm. that context that people can develop a sense of their own power, but their own power as an individual who is part of a collective.
2: So what a sensible centrist um, would say is that – what we're moving toward is um to have you know more women, more people of color, uh, more unabashedly queer people, etc, et etc, cetera, et cetera, in positions of power and what a Phelps figure might say, and what I've heard many people argue, is that it's productive, and
0: she's a role model m-
2: yeah, but also that it's better for the C suites of the world to be filled with diverse peoples because they are more productive, and you, you know this argument that it's you know
0: yes yes that that a uh, humane capitalism is to be desired because you can screw more out of your workers if you behave in a humane way and have a yeah. HR section. Uh, that encourages group lunches and um, badminton during the tea break.
2: Yeah, but I mean, what what underscores all of these sorts of exchanges and all of these ideas about good people? And I have no doubt that, and I've met Jane before. She, I know she's a good person. Um, mm. I know she cares. I know she reflects sometimes on you know uh, cer- certain of her cultural assumptions and 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 whatnot. But this belief in the power of the individual. You you know, it's it's almost religious and I find it strangely prevalent among, uh, you know, the the atheist clique in Australia, Mm. Um, That that this almost religious belief that goodness can overcome systems. And it's very hard to explain to people sometimes. Um, uh, It's a real kind of like intellectual hurdle for a lot of people. They say, oh, well, you know, capitalism is made by people. Therefore, capitalism is the natural extension of people. But it's, I mean, you know,
0: no. Yeah, who has the power? Who has the power under capitalism? Mm. It's not ordinary people who shape capitalism, it's those who are in control of the productive resources and those who are in control of the state. And that's not just the politicians, it's the head of public service departments and the people at the top of the judiciary Mm. and the armed forces and the police.
2: And and quite often it's people who think that they are doing good and quite often it's people who don't necessarily understand the consequences of of what they're doing because, of course, we all like to think that we're completely unfettered and free in our actions, don't we?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, false consciousness in the ruling class is quite important. Most members of the ruling class, most people at the top of management in large corporations or uh, in the public service, probably don't think that they're fucking up ordinary people's lives and that, you know, they're, they're behaving in a way that benefits everybody. It's, it's mm. a way of living with yourself.
2: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
0: And, and it's utterly false consciousness because, of course, they are fucking up people's lives. They are intensifying the oppression in this society, and they're perpetuating a system that not only makes life unpleasant but also kills lots of people.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the people at, say, a think tank like the Australian Strategic Policy Institute think that their anti-Chinese propaganda is good, you know, that um, they're doing a service and they're really showing um, the... Islamophobia of of everyday Chinese people to the world or whatever, and so they're not even aware. So, I mean, a false consciousness is, as you say, um, entirely possible within the ruling class. Mm. Yeah. Mm.
0: That's not to say that there aren't individual cynical members who are out to get what they can and are prepared to do anything. Uh, There are some elements that are like that and... People's consciousness can be uneven, so you can believe that you're doing good and that fucking over yeah. people is a good thing.
2: Like, I know you're not a huge fan of Zizek, right? Nah. But I really, you like, the sublime object of ideology, I think it's a really interesting work. And, I mean, this is probably Zizek's most, and you you probably know. So there's this idea um, that, that he has that ideology has changed its shape you know the um the ruling class ideas people are now conscious of having them you know so the way he characterizes the marxist version of ideology mm. and remember if you're new to all of this palaver that um ideology is used in a very particular way by a marxist it's um your unconscious belief your your centrist extremism
0: your you know. your common sense reflexes
2: yeah so, uh, you know, and what Zizek posits in his 2006 work for, you know, for, for which he really, I mean, I'm sure he'd, he'd love to be known better as a he- he- Hegelian scholar, but this is really what he's known for. This is what made his name. He's sort of like challenge to the Orthodox ideas about ideology and I think that some of them were quite correct, you know, and that he was describing the world as it was, you know, 10, 20 years before he set, he set this work down. But I see... I mean, I do think ideology mutates. um, Sure. And I… But that's not a new idea. Right. No, I'm sure it's not. I mean, everything mutates, right?
0: Well, I mean, the dominant ideology under feudalism was, in Europe, was Catholicism. That's now not so important in maintaining the status quo, but it was absolutely crucial at that stage.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, the other thing that Žižek who you don't like posits, which is fun and made him popular, is that, you know, a lot of the time um, the ideology that one is required to have and to consent to, you know, people knowingly know that it's bullshit. And you'll find this in workplaces and stuff. You know, people will say, oh, another pointless meeting and they're quite, you know, aware that their jobs might be bullshit and, you know, they're quite aware that, you know, that this is like, you're a very a putrefied kind of capitalism. Like it's a you know in that nobody's producing anything really, and we just you know. So I yeah. mean, people know. I mean, you you see this in offices all the time, and I'm sure working in universities you've seen it. You 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 speak to people who are conscious of playing a game.
0: Yes, that's right, and what I think it's important because what it indicates is that people's ideas are not set in cement. People's ideas can They're change. Not. And in particular, it's experience of struggle that we talked about yeah. that can very rapidly change people's ideas. I mean, back to France, who would have thought that there would be tens, hundreds of thousands of people on the streets who wanted Macron to go? Macron, yeah. who was elected on a, a landslide not that long ago, last year. Yeah. People's ideas can change radically and… um the, the solvent of conservative ideas is that experience of doing things together to advance common interests.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, as Lenin never said, uh, sometimes for decades nothing happens and then sometimes decades happen in weeks.
0: Yes, or days, yes. Um,
2: history, he never said that. It's actually from um, – anyway. So so this idea of um, – but I mean, there are people who fervently believe that there is a sensible centre um, and there are people who absolutely believe that consensus is the best way forward. The
0: golden rule.
2: Tell me about consensus. What's wrong with consensus as we know it?
0: Well, just because people agree doesn't necessarily mean that they're right in the sense of being correct and it's not always the case. There's the idea of the golden rule, the golden mean, is just crap. Why should, why should the truth necessarily lie in between two radically counterposed ideas? Why inherently might not one extreme be right? But it's just it's it's a kind of superstition. Mm-hmm. It, 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 there's no rational basis yeah. for it.
2: And I, I mean what we're talking about now when you get people like um Karen Karen Phillips or Jane Caro or um the Guardian's political editor Catherine Murphy. Now, Catherine Murphy has been sort of writing books and um, increasingly doing uh, sort of think piece columns about the tragedy that politicians just don't speak to each other anymore. Lack of and civility. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my God. What the fuck is this? What? I mean, you, you, you when, when does history change because people have nice manners?
0: Exactly. And when do people Begin to shift their ideas without arguing and engaging in debate. And sometimes, if they believe in their ideas, getting heated in debates.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you and I have had a few Barneys, haven't we? We have indeed. Yeah. I mean, they weren't that bad.
0: And there was no blood.
2: No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I uh, guess, so, so, so uh, there's this awful podcast with the awful Anthony Albanese, uh, the member for Graindler the purported head of the left faction of the Australian Labor Party. Please fucking spare me. Left is a fucking fish fork, which I believe is situated on the right. Um, I hope so anyway. <laughs> I, well, I, wasn't, I wasn't highly born. Um, uh, so th- the seafood implements go to the right, did not they?
0: Well, there is, a, there is a fish knife as well, Helen. Yeah, I, mean, and, I, I yeah. don't know. Whatever. Mm, in, I, I think it's a moot point and fill, fill it'll po- have to be resolved after, the, after the revolution.
2: Yeah, fill, fill, fill in the blanks and and forgive me my poor knowledge of etiquette. So she's done this um, podcast with, with Albanese recently and, and written an article on it. And so the kind of consensus that that people generally talk about is a consensus not even between diametrically opposed parties but um uh you, you know parties which increasingly merge together i mean the, the fucking labor party i mean you know they recently voted against having a a minimum number of workers in aged care homes why the fuck would they do that
0: exactly exactly what
2: this is this is this is bad for our elders this is bad for our workers um and and this is i mean this is an area where, where people just You know, I mean, there was a case of um, a lady who was a Holocaust survivor, like lying alone for hours because no one could care for her.
0: Yeah, well, the Labor Party's strategy under Shorten is just to let power drop from the palsied hands of the current Australian Prime Minister uh, Scott Morrison into his own, and try not to create any kind of worries amongst anybody and. Including worries amongst the powerful who benefit from screwing over the rest of us.
2: But I mean, what consensus can there be? What meaningful consensus can there be between two major parties—one who wants to turn Australia into a police state and another who wants to turn Australia into a police state? And I'm not—I'm not overstating the case here. I mean, if, if, if you look at, at recent discussions in, in, in Parliament and. Fucking ludicrous nonsense that they speak about national security. You know, this is a this is a bipartisan issue, apparently. I mean, for mm. fuck's sake. It's just I mean it's 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 inane. It's 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 absolute lunacy. So this is a and so so there's this discussion between Catherine Murphy, like nice lady and what have you, and Albanese. about the real problem is that people don't discuss with civility, mm. and that there is no room for consensus. and And Albanese talks about the tragedy of Parliament House, which is you know uh, sort of like um, uh, uh,
0: segregates uh, people. Yes, yeah. Oh, so you've
2: heard this, right? Mm, some and of it. and you know and And he even because you know he's a man of the people, he even talks about how he used to meet other politicians in the toilet um, and now everybody has their own toilet mm. um, it, I mean seriously Al, Al, albanese is this the, the difference between
0: how can you have a consensus when people's fundamental material interests are counterposed yeah when the when the boss's well-being depends on extracting as much labour from you as possible, and your well-being depends on minimizing your effort and maximizing your pay. These are counterposed class interests, and consensus means capitulation by one side, and it's always the workers. And the uh, one of the best examples of this was the Prices and Incomes Accord of the nineteen eighties. Where there was broad agreement that uh, for the sake of the economy and growth, wages should be restrained uh, in the short term. But that short term restraint went into the medium term and in the long term. And the beneficiaries of the accord were overwhelmingly employers, and the people who lost out were the employed.
2: Whatever Keating's intention. Certainly what occurred is that before that time, uh, workers, well, they weren't in pole position but they certainly had more power in, you know, the time of full male employment or, you know, every family had a family wage. There were fewer people impoverished than than they are today and because Mm. you have a full employment regime, what you can easily do is fuck off from one job and go and get another. Not possible today. At all. And, yeah, I mean, the Australian Labor Party happened to um, be the, the the party in control when neoliberalism happened in Australia.
0: Well, it was the vehicle for the introduction of neoliberalism and even before the Hawke-Keating government, the first neoliberal budget was brought down by Bill Hayden, later mm. a top-hatted turncoat governor-general and moved even further to the right subsequently.
2: Yeah, so none of your fucking romanticising the Australian Labor Party in the 1980s. Yes, Hawkey was a lot of fun and he held the 1954 Guinness um, yard. Yard, uh, yard Glass um, record from Oxford University. He can still sink his piss. Yes, Paul Keating, extremely funny. And in the 1990s, which I see, I feel shades of now, like, I, I mean, I remember... I went through my time of false consciousness, Rick. I'm gonna I'm gonna be straight with you. In the nineteen nineties I
0: was We we all have our moments. Like yeah. You
2: didn't. You didn't, did you? You were Marxist from birth.
0: No, no, it's not congenital. It's not? No, no, <laughs> no. There's there's hope for all.
2: Um <laughs> <laughs> uh there are very few things that are congenital.
0: Indeed. Yeah. Indeed.
2: Uh uh, look anyway, um, we've we've look, we've been banging on forever. Mm. I know a Marxist doesn't like to make short calls or long calls, but yeah, you know, we've been banging on about the nonsense that is Australian Parliament, um, the the hopelessness that exists in Canberra, mm. their servitude to the true ruling class, and our su- servitude to them in turn. Yes, I wanted to ask you what you thought of. The Victorian socialists and their recent attempt to actually gain a foothold in in our um, our state uh, upper house, yeah, in in the upper house. Now I can imagine that you know a lot of uh, socialist activists, such as your goodly self, did never really sign up for the electoral process, you know, and all, all of that much. But I mean, would was it something that you supported or took any interest in?
0: Oh, certainly. Yeah, I, I thought it was a good idea. It was a way of making arguments. Yeah. Essentially, even if Steve Jolly had been elected, the prospect of him… And he wasn't
2: far off. He wasn't far off. Uh, Not that far.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, even if, if he'd we, if been if... elected, he, he wasn't going to transform the way politics and capitalism operated. But what he could have done is provided support for people who were in struggle. Mm -hmm. provided uh, backing when there were picket lines and drawn attention to them, provided publicity, made arguments that the world doesn't have to be this way. So as a way of getting across a message about the underlying problem in so many areas being capitalism and that there are alternatives, that socialism is something that is conceivable and that all of us should be involved in, and not just, Mm. you know, heroic representatives in parliament or somewhere else, I think that made it a very worthwhile exercise and one which had a modest success.
2: And comrades, they call us utopian, you know. I mean, I've been called utopian by members of the ALP. They're the utopian ones if they think that this – system can continue because it absolutely can't. They're pulling all these ridiculous ideas about modern monetary theory and universal basic income, very under-theorised, untested ideas that they think that can both save and humanise capitalism. You know, so we have a little bit of MMT and we have Mm -hmm. a jobs fucking guarantee. Mm -hmm. What a fucking stupid idea is a jobs guarantee. I mean, you know, excuse me, but I don't want to be forced to work.
0: I think I might have to differ a little bit here, Helen. I think that the idea of demanding that governments provide people with jobs and decent incomes, meaningful work, that is a reasonable kind of a demand to make.
2: Have you got a little bit of sympathy for these MMT people? No,
0: no. No, no, I don't. I mean,
2: it's got to be like a really anti-internationalist kind of thing, right? So if you, so the idea with MMT is that you can just keep issuing money from your central yes, bank, right? Yes. Um, that's,
0: uh, a, that's different from a, a tactical question of what kind of a demand that you make. Like demanding that people have decent jobs mm-hmm. and campaigning around that is one thing. Thinking that there is a magic uh, monetary wand that can meet that demand as opposed to it being something that will be fought tooth and nail by governments and by employers, they're different things.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, but also I just, I mean, because you can think big uh, macroeconomic things through. So say that a Western nation does take on, you you know, a a, a modern monetary, and they they say we need modern monetary theory in order to fund these jobs, you know, which... Is probably not true, but so you know, say that the US does just issue a huge amount of currency, or say that our RBA just issues a huge amount of currency. Like, surely you can only do that in um the global North or the West, right? You can only do that in sort of like G20 nations, and wouldn't that affect other currencies and 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 miserate the global South even further?
0: Well, I think even domestically it's problematic. It Monetary theory sort of brackets away the idea that it's possible to have inflation because if you just issue more money and you employ people with that money, the economy will simply expand. But if the system depends on employers making profits, on bosses making profits, that's to some extent beside the point. And if if profits aren't healthy enough, and you just keep issuing money then what you have is inflation. If you keep on issuing the money, you have hyperinflation. It, it just ignores what the fundamental logic of the system is. I know I've been harping on about this profit stuff, but it's c- pretty it's, basic. It's
2: central. it's central. And
0: And also, it's not that difficult to understand that employers are only in business so long as they can make profit. And if they don't make profits, then... They either go out of business, they go mm. under com- compared with uh, their rivals, or they just don't invest, and the economy slows.
2: So, a good centrist, a Catherine Murphy type, a Karen Phelps type, believes that you can harness profit and have capitalism with human Incentivize face.
0: people. Yeah,
2: uh, we don't believe that.
0: No, no,
2: we we don't believe that companies act. Uh, because they're they're in a particular way because they're bad people, or because they're they they're good people. Um, the the profit exists beyond us. It is not intrinsically human.
0: No, that's right. And you you have a good boss, you know, a good capitalist who wants to pay workers really high wages and to have terrific conditions and short hours. Wouldn't that be terrific? And wouldn't they go out of business?
2: Absolutely. in a flash. Absolutely, it's been marvelous having a yak with you. Mm. Did I talk over the top of you all the time? I have that tendency.
0: No, no, I was very polite, so it didn't happen.
2: Yeah, you shouldn't. You, you, you know me well enough. <laughs> um, this has been Knackers in the badge, ba- <laughs> and the in mm. the badge. Um, uh, but my guest ha- uh, has been uh, Rick Coon, uh, and. Um, you, you, he, the, the, the primary focus of his work in um, – you won some great big Marxist prize a few years ago for your, your, your work on your, um, your favourite crisis theorist Grossman, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I won the Deutsche Prize. That's quite yeah. something, isn't it? I was very happy.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like an Academy Award for comrades.
0: Yeah, it's an, an international prize for a book on or, or within Marxism.
2: Yeah. Uh, So just before you go, um, so you don't like to make short calls. You don't. We don't. We don't try to predict the future.
0: Well, uh, sometimes we don't have a choice.
2: (laughs) What the fuck is going to happen here? What's going to what's going to happen in the next ten years? What do you think? what do you see taking place? I don't
0: make calls, Helen.
2: no it's, it's been, Marx didn't really make calls either
0: well i can I can tell you something that I'm confident about what and that is that there will be a resurgence in struggle from below because capitalism just generates that. but what I can't tell you is how long we're going to have to hold our breath and try and build on the basis of the limited levels of struggle of today so that we can intervene effectively in the struggles of the future. I can't How can we? That. How can
2: we beat the fascist impulse, which generally comes along? Uh, uh, well, it's not so much an impulse to be fascist. I hope not. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, but it's uh, a fault that is exploited by others. So, so how can we beat this influence and keep the movement coming from below in Australia? How can we outrun racism?
0: Well, when when we see other people fighting back to encourage them to join with them when there are protests against the government's uh, policy of putting refugees into concentration camps and torturing them, when there are those kinds of protests being involved with that. And I would argue that if you really think the problem is capitalism and that it's ordinary people who can make the difference to getting rid of it, then I would argue that you should join a revolutionary organisation that has that kind of a perspective and the one I belong to, the the largest, not a big claim in Australia, Socialist Alternative.
2: Yeah, you're a salty. And I am the Socialist Alternative house cat. I come in and I, I come out and I will see you at Marxism 2019.
0: Indeed, we're both performing there.
2: We are performing. I'm going to do a presentation on ruling class ladies in pantsuits.
0: And I'm going to talk about what we can expect of a shortened government.
2: Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, tedium, hypocrisy and outright lies, I imagine. Uh, next so you've
0: th- taken my wind, out, wind <laughs> out of my sails already uh, and it's months uh, away.
2: Nick is in the badge. Um, uh, 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 Rick is a, a, a Canberran. Um, but we do get together um, sometimes uh, in, in Melbourne for a chat. So if you have some questions, um, email them to me, helen at com. if you'd like to throw a few... Bucks in the one dollar, two dollars, fifty something like that in the in the copper. Do it, do it. Um, well, you, you know, I don't really need that much money, but I like to pay for people's Ubers and you know if they're you know if 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 they're giving up other work to do this sort of thing. And Rick and I are about to go and buy some 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 lunch with the money so kindly donated on uh, the my Patreon thingy, which is oh Christ, internet panhandling is so humiliating. <laughs> But thank you very much for making it feel less humiliating. At least I'm earning more than $3 a month. So it's at the patreon.com forward slash Helen Razor. It's Razor with an A. Goodbye, Knackers. Goodbye, Bye, Knackers. Uh, and uh, Rick, you and I will uh, pop up to the deli
0: now. Look forward to it. You've been listening to Knackers and the Vag.